0: Okay, so we have finished the first, the first part of the Parsha of Matod and that was on the subject of vows and now we're going into the 31st chapter which is about the battle against Midian Hashem spoke to Moshe saying take vengeance for the children of Israel against the Midianites Afterward, you will be gathered into your people. So, after this battle is when Moshe is going to pass on. Moshe spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among yourselves for the legion that they may be against Midian to inflict Hashem's vengeance against Midian. A thousand from a tribe, a thousand from a tribe, for all the tribes of Israel shall you send to the legion so there were delivered from the thousands of the children of Israel a thousand from each tribe twelve thousand armed for the legion now this was actually a small army against Midian but Hashem had reason and we see this played out several times over and over where Hashem says make the army small so that the victory can be obvious from Hashem and not because of the strength of the army Moshe sent them, a thousand from each tribe, for the legion, them and Pincus, son of Eleazar the Kohen, to the legion, and the sacred vessels and the trumpets were sounding in his hand. Now, you notice that Pincus is going to go to lead the army, but not Moshe. And the reason Moshe is not going to go is because he had been given hospitality in Midian, and so he could not go it's like biting the hand that feeds you Hashem this is also setting a precedent here that Hashem is saying they gave you hospitality this is a people that you stayed with for 40 years and so you're not going to go to battle against them and they massed against Midian as Hashem had commanded Moshe and they killed every male they killed the kings of Midian along with the slain ones Avi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, and Bilam the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. The children of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their young children, and all the cattle and flocks and all their wealth they took as spoils. All the cities of their habitations and all their palaces they burned in fire. They took all the booty and all the captives of people and animals. They brought to Moshe to Eleazar the Kohen and to the assembly of the children of Israel the captives the animals and the booty and the, to the camp at the plains of Moab which was by the Jordan near Yericho now I want us to notice another thing about this and this is very important when we start thinking about Noah. earlier we read before the wandering of 40 years in the wilderness we read about Yitro telling Moshe that he is not going to go with them he's not going to go with them into the land of Israel and so what does he do he goes back where where is he from right he goes back to Midian and why is he going back to Midian? We're told that he had been a priest of all the known idols in the world. He had been a magician, a powerful person, just like Bilam. I mean, powerful. I mean, Bilam of course was superior on the of Tumah. He was on the level of Moshe, but he had been, had knowledge just like Bilam, just like Balak. He had had this kind of knowledge, and then he found. Hashem, Because he had been searching. He had a pure heart. He wanted the truth. And he had the courage. Once he found truth. He had the courage to say. You know what? This stuff is nonsense. This Torah is truth. Hashem is one God. And he is the one I am going to worship. From now on. So when he went back to Midian. We can just imagine. That the reason he went back to Midian was because he was going to bring this truth to his own people. He didn't want his own people to be left out. He wanted to bring this truth to them. And this makes us think about something. Now Midian has been... We were talking about the court of heaven with the vows. Now also the court of heaven judges nations. And Midian had been judged and found wanting because they held on to their idolatry, and not only they held on to their idolatry and their tumah, their um, uncleanness, their impurity, they were trying to spread it to the people of Israel, and they were trying to defile the people of Israel, corrupt them. So they were, essentially what they were doing was trying to not just they weren't trying to kill them physically they were trying to kill them spiritually with this defilement and so they were judged in the court of heaven they were found wanting and so this war that takes place led by none other than Pinchas who is going to one day be the high priest and he's taking out the Aaron Kodesh he's taking out the tab the um the Ark of the Covenant. And the and the trumpets. Taking all these vessels out into the war. Because this is. I know we've heard this term. With the Muslims so much. That you just want to just go. Oh my goodness. I don't want to hear this term again. But this was a holy war. This was a war of Hashem. Of holiness. Against impurity. And we can see. That it was because. They were taking the ark with them. They were taking the trumpets with them. They were going to, you know, it was a war of conquest against the forces of impurity in the world. So, people, of course, people were going to physically die. This was something that had been a verdict of the court of heaven, and it happened. But what I want us to understand is Is there two kinds of judgment? And we see this with Midian because of Yitro. Yitro was a man from Midian. We see it because of Moshe also. Because Shem said, in Midian you were given hospitality. You were given um, sanctuary when you were running for your life. You were given a place to stay. And so, because there were Good people in Midian. It's not like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not like these places that were just destroyed because there was not one single decent person in the world in the whole place. There were two ways that Hashem in the court of heaven judged this nation, and we can see this as a spiritual precedent. He judged the nation first on the individual level. So the nation did not need to be totally destroyed because there were worthy individuals within the nation. These individuals were going to be saved out of the nation. Then he judged it as a whole and Midian was going to fall because the people had, as a majority, participated in this defilement trying to defile the people of Israel and cause a fall. They have participated with Bilaam and Balak to try to cause fall of the people of Israel. So there, there are two ways that Midian is being judged. And this is an important thing for us to understand as we look at nations in our own time and we see through history how nations have risen and fallen, how certain people are brought out of those nations and we can understand that n- just because a nation is categorized, characterized as being a nation of uncleanness, a nation of uh, loose morals of idolatry or something is not necessarily saying that there are no worthy people individuals within that nation we have Midian with with Yitro and we have Moab from which Ruth came and so she was the, the foremother of none other than King David so there was a spark within these places of Chuma, of uncleanness there were sparks of holiness that Hashem saw as worthy and he was going to save them out of it we need to bear that in mind when we look at events of our time Or we look at what goes on in our day. And I want us to converse on, on this thing. Because it's something that really is pertinent to what's going on in the world right now. It's very, very easy for us to look at what's going on in the world and say, Oh, those Muslims are all rotten. Well, the ideas of terrorism, of murder, of some of these things are rotten they're horrible. They're really, really horrible and they do need to be met and they need to be defeated. But are all Muslims horrible? Are all these people of no value in the world? This is one of the dangers that we have when we start thinking in collective ways. So If we don't look at individuals and realize there could be souls of worth within these people this is a danger It's a real danger and it's something that I'll, I'll tell you I'm going to confess to you before when I lived in Israel I, it was easy to fall into this trap because we were being blown up on the street corners we were being blown up in the buses we were being shot in their cars stabbed at the bus stops, and it was really easy to say all Arabs are this well, this is just not true. It's not true. And it was real easy to say they're all animals. And I'm going to tell you, I have had time, to- I have said it myself. And I've had to confess that this was not a truth. It was not right for me to say it. They are not all anything. They're not. And it's wrong for us to say all anybody are a certain way. And so I had to confess that. Now, the teachings of murder and hatred and all this, that is wrong. And we have to be able to separate those two things and not go all the way one way or all the way the other way. I mean, I'm looking at the, what the UN does habitually. And I mean, I'm saying to myself, now you want a ceasefire because Israel is responding you want a ceasefire but when Israel is taking a pounding you don't say a word and this really gets I mean this is very nerve wracking because you're just thinking I got a letter from a friend of mine in Spots who said 51 missiles had fallen on the city at the time when she wrote the letter 51 missiles and these people are the most peaceful people they spend their days, most of them, studying Torah. 51 missiles, And you just, it, it is very difficult not to say, oh, all these people are so-and-so. But within her letter, and I have to give her a lot of credit, this is a woman who has a tremendous, she is a tremendous soul. She said, let us not forget, and she's in the midst of having to send her children out of the city for safety of hearing the booms all around her and the missiles are falling and in the midst of this as she wrote her letter to me she said and let us not forget to pray for those innocent Lebanese and those innocent Palestinians who are being used by these evil people as human shields who are are really victims of this evil you're right physical wars are manifestations of spiritual wars and many times during, the, during physical wars things will happen in the world that could not happen in, in another way in a normal situation they could not happen you'll find people who will suddenly find courage to do something that they were meant to do that's why their souls came into the world they never thought they could do it but in that time of crisis, they'll find the ability to do it. And on national level, things will get shaken to where things will become possible that were not before. And so there, are, there's a purpose. I know wars are horrible, but but and it's sometimes hard for us to get our mind around it, but there are things that Hashem does in the world that are meant to happen that has to happen through war. And so we have to bear that in mind too. We have to have a balanced view of what's going on. So blanket ceasefire, it's not necessarily a good thing. And sometimes very very it's sort of like when we have to when we have a diseased limb and we have to have an amputation. God forbid. You don't want that to happen. It's something extremely radical. But if you don't do it, the possibility is you're going to die. And so sometimes wars are like that. And they bring about something that's very unpleasant, but it has to happen in order for something else to happen in the world, in order for um, a change to come about in the world that is meant to happen. For instance in World War I before World War I the Middle East was a part of the Ottoman Empire during World War I the Middle East fell into the British under British control and so because of that and because of the Balfour Declaration the way was made for Israel to become a state in the world this happened in war power shifts during war control of territory shifts during war and people die and that's a sad thing people are maimed and hurt and killed but even that even on that level there are reasons that we can't always understand on personal level I remember a story of something that happened to Gershom Solomon he tells this story that it, I think it was I think it was in the um, Yom Kippur War, I think, it might have been the Six Day War, but I think it was the Yom Kippur War. That he was taken captive by the Egyptians, and he ha- and they ran over his legs with a tank. It was a horrible story, but he saw an angel, and the angel told him that he was going to live because he had a work to do. Now this man spearhead you know, the political fight that there will be a temple on the Temple Mount. And he walks. He was run over by a tank, but he walks with a cane. So, things happen during wars. Fantastic things. Horrible things. And and miraculous things happen during wars. So, sometimes, this is the way that Hashem brings about His will in the world and sometimes it's like a purification that's needed not the most perfect thing but this is what happens in an imperfect world so the people of Israel brought back these captives and they weren't supposed to bring back these captives and it brings to mind another time when um, like King Saul brought back captives he wasn't supposed to do that he brought back captives and sheep and he was supposed to make a clean sweep of the Amalekim but in this case it wasn't a clean sweep It wasn't. they weren't commanded to kill every man, woman and child but they did leave alive some people that were not supposed to be allowed to live and this is something else that is difficult sometimes us to get our minds around it but we have to have faith that the Torah is not a cruel book that there are reasons that Hashem is saying something and we are being conveyed a message with it. Moshe, Eleazar the Kohen and all the elders of the assembly went out to meet them outside the camp. Moshe was angry with the commanders of the army the officers of the thousands and officers of the hundreds who came from the legion of the battle. Moshe said to them, Did you let every female live? Behold, it was they who caused the children of Israel by the word of Bilaam to commit a betrayal against Hashem regarding the matter of Peor. So it was the women, he's saying, Look, it was the woman who drew you into idolatry and you let them live. And the plague occurred in the assembly of Hashem. So now kill every male among the young children. And every woman fit to know a man by lying with a male, you shall kill. But all the young children among the women who have not known lying with a male, you shall keep alive for yourselves. And as for you, encamp outside the camp for a seven-day period. Whoever killed or touched a corpse shall be purified himself. On the third day and on the seventh day, you and your captives. Now remember, we already had a um, in the previous parsha. We had the previous parsha. We learned about the uh, red heifer. Was how many parshas ago? It was in parsha Kuhat. The red heifer. And so here we are, um, harking back to this again, that they would be purified on the third day and the seventh day. Now, who remembers what we said about why it's the third day and the seventh day? We had to be purified on both those days in order for it to be effective. Does anybody remember why? okay this is so that the third day was for a um, physical person on a physical level and the, and the seventh day was for the spiritual side of the person this was a treatment for the whole person in order that he would be brought back completely atoned in order for he, him to be brought back completely into um, holiness And the waters of purification, the waters of lustration, it's called sometimes, it's also called Medida, or the waters of separation. And holiness and separation, it means separation. It's a word for separation. So this water, this miraculous water, was to bring people back into the separation from those who had been exposed to the dead, to those who had not it was this um, bringing them back into tahora the purity from the level of tumah or the impurity and it had to do with being exposed to the dead so in war people had no choice they're going to kill and they're going to be exposed to the dead so here was the remedy and it said, not only them, but them and their captives. That even their captives were were going to be brought into this level. Their captives were non-Jews. But, and for the most part, non-Jewish people are not, they do not have the category of Tumah. They cannot be purified with the ashes of the Red Heifer. They're not It it just doesn't apply. But in the case of captives of war, they're brought into, just like slaves, they're brought into the house of Israel. And so here's a case where non-Jewish people had this application. They had the waters of lustration, the waters of the ashes of the red heifer sprinkled upon them as well to purify them too from the tumah of exposure to the dead. And so this is bringing them into a whole different level of being. Think about that for a moment. They've gone through the the tragedy of war, of having their parents killed, these girls. Their parents have been killed. Their brothers have been killed. They've gone through all this tragedy of being taken from their homes. And now what's happening to them isn't that they're going to be subjected like in a lot of cultures where prisoners of war are subjected to horrible things. What's happening to them, the very first thing that's happening to them is they're being sprinkled with these waters and they're being brought to a completely new level of spirituality that they have never even had the opportunity to know before. And this is the result of a war to destroy the Turan. Now think about that for a moment. I just want us to stop and think about that for one moment. I see Glenn has a comment. they're being prepared to be Jewish wives yes they're being brought into the house of Israel so that they will be able to be a part of the house of Israel in every single way now the laws of the captive of the captive woman we read in other places and if the woman decided she did not want to be married to a man if he saw her and he wanted to be married to her And then she said, I don't want this. I don't want to be Jewish. He had to let her go. He had to let her go back to her own people. Now, in this case, where the the nation is basically destroyed, these girls really didn't have anywhere to go. So, instead of being slaves, instead of being mistreated, they are, like you say, they're being prepared to be accepted fully as part of the house of Israel, it's going to take time for them to be able to get over the tragedy of losing their families. Yes. It's going to take time for them to be weaned away from the idolatry that they had in their past. Yes. But they're having an opportunity that begins with this sprinkling of these waters upon them. And that is really amazing. I mean, I, I think about that and I think wow, that, that is just, it's so different. What Hashem is saying with Israel here, what it, the laws that he gives to Israel are so different from what was the ordinary in the nations around them. I mean, think about it. Captive girls would never be accepted as fully part of the nation. They would be mistreated. They would be downtrodden. They would be their lives would be horrible, and they would never be allowed to forget that they were not really that they were only captives that they weren't really part of the of that nation. But here they're they're giving this opportunity to rise up to a new level of being in the world, and it's just it just really is amazing. After Hashem cleanses out the ones that wouldn't be able to go there because of their past. He leaves the ones who would be able to. These young girls who had never known a man. They would be able to because they can come into this purity. It's an opportunity for them so that these people of, of Midian don't really disappear altogether. They're brought into Israel. And so it's really, it's, it's really an amazing thing. And you wonder if this was in the merit of Moshe's wife. And remember, it was Moshe's wife, and also Elazar's wife was from the family of Yitro. And so we could say that it would be in the merit of Yitro and his family. Because you saw here a family of Midian that had merit, that had worth that could really connect with the Torah and and become part of the people of Israel just as much as the Jewish people. They weren't what we would call part of the Arab rock. They were very, very high souls. In fact, some of Yitro's descendants became part of San Sanhedrin. It was just really an amazing thing. And remember that Midian... Was the son of Keturah and Abraham, so they're close relatives here. Were all the small boys killed because they weren't circumcised, so they couldn't become Jewish? Well, it has to do with the boys would have become men, who the men the men were. Um, Condemned. All of the men were condemned, and so it had. It. I don't think that it had to do with the circumcision as much as it had to do with they would have become men. First, the people the army of Israel didn't kill all the boys, but then Moshe said, "Kill all the boys." They kept the girls alive to become wives within the people of Israel, but the boys could not. Because think about it, I mean, we just had um, a lesson about vows and how a girl under the authority of her father or under the authority of her husband um, can disavow what she has said. So, it the the part just before this about vows talks about the authority of the male of the house so a girl is going to be under this authority and this authority has to be the Jewish man or a man who can be Jewish and these Midianites were not given that um, they weren't expected to be able to do that the the family of Yitro were exceptions Uh, every vessel of the things that they had captured Every vessel, every um, every garment, every vessel of hide, everything made of that which comes from goats, and every vessel of wood, you shall purify. Now here is where we get the the laws that are the um, the halakha the laws on koshering vessels. Elazar the Kohen said to the men of the legion who came to the battle. This is the decree of the Torah. Now when we have this about the waters of, of purification the waters of separation it, it really defines all the laws of purity and impurity. tuma and um, um, uh, Tumah and Tahorah. Eleazar the Cohen said to the men of the legion who came to the battle this is the decree of the Torah which Hashem commanded Moshe only the gold and the silver and copper the iron, the tin and the lead, everything that comes into the fire, you shall pass through the fire and it will be purified so this is how we kosher vessels, if something is used for um, baking or broiling or you know something like this, if if it's used for uh, with a fire then we purify it or we kosher it with fire, like with a with a torch but it must be purified with water of sprinkling and everything that would come in the fire you shall pass through the water you shall immerse the garments on the seventh day to become purified after you may enter the camp so things things that are used vessels that are used for boiling um, like pots that are used for boiling when we kosher them we kosher them with boiling water so that it's kosher in the same way that it became non-kosher if it's glasses that are used for cold drinks we use cold water that we soak it for like 24 hours we soak those in cold water so the way that, that they became um, non-kosher is the way that we kosher them and this is something that we really have to pay attention to every year at Passover but when it talks about um, putting it through the, through the water you shall pass it through the water this is where we get the halakha of taking vessels to the mikvah and the mikvah is a, a body of water that has living water going into it and the water goes out also so we take the vessel and we say a bracha we say a blessing that Hashem has commanded us to immerse the vessel in water. And it comes from here. That these things, would even the ones that came through, that we would purify with the fire, we also had to pass it through the water. We also have to immerse it in the mix So there's two steps. You have to purify it with boiling water, if it's something that's boiled. With fire, if it's something that you use for roasting or for barbecuing or something like a rack for a barbecue grill, and then you dip it in the mixa with the bracha. And the the items that had the waters of purification sprinkled on them also had to then be dipped into the mixa, like the people. Now, we don't have the waters of the red heifer, and so all we have is the mix-up. So we do that. We use the mix-up for separation. Um, and this is something that really just applies to Jewish people, but I, I wanted to explain that in case somebody had a question about it, because I know that maybe you've been to Bindles when I was there, And you saw, you know, we have the separate um, dishes, and we have whole separate dishes when you came for Passover. (laughs) So this is what we did when we got ready for Passover. We had to do a lot of cleaning and dipping it in. We used the swimming pool. Living water was the rain. Hashem said to Moshe, saying, Calculate the total of captive, captured spoils of people and animals, Hugh, Elazar the Kohen, and the heads of the fathers of the assembly. Divide the spoils in half between those who undertook the battle, who go out to the legion, and the entire assembly. You shall raise up a tribute to Hashem from the men of war, who go out to the legion, one living being of five hundred from the people, from the cattle, from the donkeys, and from the flock you shall take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the Kohen as a portion of Shem and from the half of the children of Israel you shall take one drawn from fifty from the people, from the cattle, from the donkeys, from the flock from all the animals, you shall give them to the Levites, the guardians of the charge of Hashem's tabernacle so this was the um, div- division of the spoil but it was a uh, like a tithe of what had been taken that were going to now be given to the Levites of the captured animals. Moshe and Eleazar the Kohen did as Hashem had commanded Moshe. The animal booty beyond the spoils that the people of the legion looted, the flock 675,000, the cattle 72,000, and donkeys 61,000, and human beings the women who had not known lying with a man all the souls 32,000 the half which was the share of those who went out to the legion was the count of the flock 337,500 the tribute of Hashem from the flock 675 and the cattle 36,000 and their tribute to Hashem 72 and the donkeys 30,500 and their tribute to Hashem 61 and the human beings sixty thousand, sixteen thousand, 16,000 sorry and their tribute to Hashem 32 people as Moshe gave the tribute that was raised up for Hashem to Eleazar the Kawain as Hashem had commanded Moshe from the half of the children of Israel that Moshe had divided from the man, men of the The half of the assembly was of the flock, 337,500, and the cattle, 36,000, and the donkeys, 30,500, and the human beings, 16,000. Moshe took from the half of the children of Israel, the one drawn from the fifty, from the people and the animals, and gave them to the Levites, the guardians of the charge of Hashem's tabernacle, as Hashem had commanded Moshe the commanders of the thousands in the legions, the officers of the thousands and the officers of the hundreds, approached Moshe. They said to Moshe, Your servants took a census of the men of war under your command, and not a man of us was missing. So we have brought an offering for Hashem. What any man found of gold vessels, anklet and bracelet, ring, earring and clasp to atone for our souls before Hashem. Moshe and Elazar the Kohen took the gold from them. Every fashioned vessel, all the gold that was raised up, which they had set apart for Hashem, was sixteen thousand seven hundred and fifty shekels, from the officers of the thousands and the officers of the hundreds. As for the men of the legion, each man looted for himself. Moshe and Elazar the Kohen took the gold from the officers of the thousands, and the hundreds brought to the tent of the meeting as a remembrance for the children of Israel before Hashem. So they then gave a gift of their because none of the men who had gone out to war had fallen in battle, and so they gave an extra gift to the um, to the Levites, to Moshe and to the kohenim of the gold vessels. Now, in the thirty-second chapter, um, we're going to be coming to a new subject, and that is the um, the division of the land. Now, I don't know. Can you see the? Can you see on the browser the? Let me see. Hold it. Now, you should be able to see on the browser the outline for the Parsha. Can you see it? Okay, great. So now we're to the 32nd chapter, which is the end of this Parsha. And the subject is about the division of the land because there were two tribes that came to Moshe and asked to be able to stay on the east side of the Jordan. The children of Ruvain and the children of God had abundant livestock. Now they were very well-to-do because they had um, captured much of the gold and silver and so on from the people of Midian and they had bought all of this cattle. They had a lot of, lot of livestock. They were very wealthy. They saw the land of Yazer. Yez, and the land of Gilad and behold the place was a place for livestock. The children of God and the children of Ruvain came and said to Moshe to Eleazar the Kohen and to the leaders of the assembly saying Acha wrote and Devon and Yazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and uh, Aleilah and Sebam and Nebo, Nebo and Bion the land that Hashem smote before the children before the assembly of Israel is a land for livestock and your servants have livestock. They said, if we have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as a heritage. Do not bring us across the Jordan. So what is it that they're saying? I mean, it sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Moshe said to the children of God and the children of Ruvain, Shall your brothers go out to battle while you settle here? Why do you dissuade the heart of the children of Israel from crossing to the land that Hashem has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. They went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, and they dissuaded the heart of the children of Israel not to come to the land that Hashem had given them. The wrath of Hashem burned on that day, and He swore, saying, If these men who came up from Egypt, from the age of twenty years and above, see the ground that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Yaakov, for they have not followed Me fully, except for Kalev, son of Yehunneh, and the uh, Kenizzite, and Yahushua, son of Nun, for they have followed Hashem fully. The wrath of Hashem burned against Israel, and he made them wander the wilderness for 40 years until the end of the entire generation that did evil in the eyes of Hashem. Behold, you have risen up in the place of your fathers a society of sinful people to add more to the burning wrath of Hashem against Israel. For if you will turn away from after him, he will again let it rest in the wilderness and you will destroy this entire people. So he's warning them, you're doing something very similar to what happened before. Don't repeat history here. You're going to cause this people not to go into the land at oh, all. You're going to cause them to have to wander the wilderness what? For another forty years? Do you want that? But they said, They're different. They're not doing the what their fathers did. They approached him saying, Pins for the flock shall we build here for our livestock and cities for our small children We shall arm ourselves swiftly in the vanguard of of the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our small children will dwell in the fortified cities before the inhabitants of the land. We shall not return to our homes until the children of Israel will have inherited every man his inheritance for we shall not inherit with them across the Jordan and beyond for our inheritance has come to us on the east bank of the Jordan so what have they just done when they said this to Moshe what did, how did we start this Parsha and we have to remember how the Parshas flow together and many times we'll see something at the end of the Parsha that is something we spoke of at the very beginning and so here we're seeing the people of Reuben and God are making a vow they're making a vow, exactly they're vowing something that they're going to not come back until all the people have settled. Now, we know from the book of Yahushua that this didn't really happen at all. I mean, it happened, but it took a long time. And so they're going to make cities for their children. By the time the people of Ruve and God came back, their children were grown up. They were totally grown up because it took so long for them to conquer the land of Israel proper and so they but they made a vow and to their credit we have to see to their credit they fulfilled their vow and the people of God especially were very fierce fighters and they went to the very front just like they said we will be a vanguard they went to the front of the fighting and they helped their brothers conquer the the land of Israel but we but we see something else. When they say this to Moshe, what do they say first? They said to him Pins for the flocks shall we build here for our livestock and then what they do they say? Cities for our small children. So what are they putting first? Again, before they even want to go into the land, they haven't even seen it and they're talking about their livestock. And so Moshe is Is disappointed in them. For one thing, because they don't want to go into the land of Israel. But for another thing, here's what they're saying. And they're saying, first thing they say, their livestock. The first thing they're talking about is their possessions. Before they even talk about their children. Before they even talk about making cities for their children, someplace for their children to live. They're talking about pens for their livestock. So he sees that there is something amiss here with the people of Ruvain and God. And remember Reuben and God had camped all these years side by side in the south part of the encampment. Moshe said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves, now he's giving them a condition. Alright, I'm hearing what you say. I'm hearing the vow that you're making. If you do this thing, you arm yourselves before hashem for the battle and every armed man among you shall cross the jordan before hashem until he drives out his enemies before him and the land shall be conquered before hashem and then you shall return then you shall be vindicated before from hashem and from israel and this land shall be a heritage for you before hashem so he's saying okay if you will keep your vow then you can have this land and it's fine and you can be blessed in it. But if you do not do so, so he's telling him, if you break your vow, behold, you will have sinned to Hashem. Know your sin that will encounter you. Build for yourself cities for your small children and pens for your cattle. Now you notice when Moshe says it back to them he says it in the opposite way they said pens for our our flocks and cities for our children but when Moshe says it back to them what does he say first he says cities for your children and pens for your flocks so he's trying to teach them something here he's trying to teach them by not saying well what is wrong with you you've got your priorities all out of whack he doesn't say that Instead, it's very tactful he says it in the opposite way You see see it right here in the written Torah. He says it in the opposite way. So he can teach them something. Cities for your children. pens for your flocks. And what has come from you. From your mouth. What has come from your mouth. Talking about vows. Shall you do. So he's reminding them. We started the Parsha with vows. Remember what you said. This is exactly what you're going to be held to. Exactly the promise that you're making here, the conditions that you have set for yourself, you're going to be held to, in order for you to inherit on this side of the Jordan. The children of God and the children of Reuben said to Moshe, saying, "Your servants shall do as my lord commands. Our small children, our wives, our livestock, and all our animals will be there." In the cities of Gilad. So they heard what Moshe said. You hear this? How subtle it is? They heard what Moshe said. And so when they repeat it back to him now. They're saying it the way he said it. First their children. And then then their animals. And your servants shall cross over. Every armed person of the legion. Before Hashem. To do battle as my Lord speaks. So Moshe is teaching them something about priorities. Yeah, and he's also teaching them about vows fulfill what you have said put your priorities straight and fulfill the words of your mouth concerning them Moshe commanded Elazar the Kohen Yahushua son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel Moshe said to them if the children of God and the children of Ruvain will cross the Jordan with you everyone armed for battle before Hashem and the land is conquered before you you shall give them the land of Gilad as a heritage but if they do not cross cross over armed with you then they will take their heritage among you in the land of Canaan so there was this stipulation there was this condition the children of God and the children of Ruvain spoke up saying as Hashem has spoken to your servants, so shall we do. We shall cross over arms before Hashem to the land of Canaan, and ours shall be of the heritage of our inheritance across the Jordan. So Moshe gave to them, to the children of God and the children of Reuven, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, now the place was too large for just Reuven and, and God, and so he added to them a half-part of the tribe of Manasseh. Of the kingdom of Sichon, the king of Amorite and the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan and the land with its cities and boundaries and the cities that of the surrounding land the children of God built Tivon Atorot and Aror and Atrot, Siphon and Yazar and Yagbeha and Beit Nimra, and Beit Haran, fortified cities and pens for the flock. The children of Ruvain built Heshbon, and Elilah, and Keriate uh, Keri times, and Nabo and Baal Neon, with altered names. In other words, these were names of idols, and so they changed the names and Sidma and they called them by other names instead of the names of the cities that they built. The children of Mahir son of Manashe went to Gilad and captured it and drove out the Amorite who were in it. Moshe gave the Gilad to Machir, son of Manashe and he settled in it. Yair son of Manashe went and captured their villages and called them Havot Yair. Nova went and captured Kinat and her suburbs, and called it Nova after his name. Now, one of the things that we get from the Midrash, how far west, well, the how far west is to the uh, Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> you mean how far east? right um, I'm not sure how to tell you um, it's just over like in, it includes the mountains it's um, from the Jordan and it includes the mountains it's not really that far it's not that large but one of the things that we when we're looking at why was Manashe the one that was chosen to be uh, with Ruvein and God, is that we see that Manasseh is a half-tribe. Half is going to be on the east side and half on the west. And so, essentially, Manasseh is, is um, torn apart. The tribe is torn. The Midrash tells us that the reason that this was the tribe that was chosen to be torn is because Manasseh, the son of Yosef, was the servant of Yosef the, like his um, his emissary when the brothers were accused of stealing the silver cup of Yosef and so when they didn't realize Yosef was not an Egyptian viceroy that he was actually their brother and so Manasseh was his emissary and went after them and the brothers when they were um, realized that the cup was in in um sack, tore their clothes, and so here we have Mida Keneged Mida. That it's because of their forefather Manasseh causing the brothers to tear their garments in mourning, in grieving, that here he is the one who is having his um, because of the brothers, because of the tribe. On behalf of the tribe, that his tribe is being torn in two. So it's all, it's symbolic of, of uh, Mida connected Mida, measure for measure. Now the next thing we have in the, in the Parsha of Masseh is the itinerary or the journey from Egypt to Jordan, to the Jordan. And, and you can see here th- that um, there were 42 stations actually. and uh, So I listed them here. Were the halves of Manashe opposite each other on the Jordan? Yes. The Jordan separated them, but they were other than that, they were together. Right. Now each time, and this is like a recapping of the journey of the people of Israel. and each one of the encampments that they stopped at, there was something that happened that was um, a fixing, a tikum of the people, of something that they needed in their soul. Something they needed to learn. There was some kind of crisis and from that crisis they learned something or they came they they were elevated they had a crisis and then they were elevated from learning from it and this is something like our own journey in the world and so we can look at this as we as we go through the different ones and realize that this place they had no water and so they had to come to a place had to learn Shem taught them that he would give them water. This place, they were worried about not having food. So Hashem gave them the man. This place, they wanted, they weren't happy with the man and they wanted meat. And so he gave them quail. And it became what we call the, the graves of lust. I mean, all of these different places, there were crises. Each place It was something that that Hashem was working in the whole people, the soul of the whole people. And so we can look at this as being like an analogy of our own lives. That as we move through the world, as we move through our lives, that we can say, at this place I learned this. At this place I went through this and I learned this. At this place Hashem gave me this blessing and he lifted me up in this way At, in this place he rescued me like that and if we can think about our lives like this this is, this is what we're, we're getting as we go through the itinerary of the wanderings in the wilderness so this is in the 33rd chapter of Midbar. these are the journeys of the children of Israel who went forth from the land of Egypt according to their legions under the hand of Moshe and Aaron Moshe wrote their goings forth according to their journeys at the bidding of Hashem and these were their journeys according to their goings forth they journeyed from Ramesses in the first month of the 15th day on the 15th day of the first month on the day of after Pesach offering the children of Israel went forth with an upraised hand before the eyes of all Egypt and the Egyptians were burying those among them whom Hashem had struck, every firstborn and on their gods Hashem had afflicted punishment. now notice that that it wasn't just the Egyptians but it was on their gods that the, the plagues that came to Egypt, the ten plagues were also symboli- symbolizing the defeat of their gods and so here is Another example of the battle in the court of heaven, the battle against the the belief in this these pagan gods, and um, and so how Hashem inflicted upon their gods that He defeated the Egyptians and their gods. Not that they were real, but they were spiritual. We have to understand this. Understand it the way, uh, the reality of it, that there are spiritual forces behind these idols. There are spiritual forces that Hashem allows to operate, allows to exist behind the idols. But He doesn't want us to choose that because what are we doing? We're choosing something lower, rather than reaching up to Hashem. So we're choosing something lower because it's easier. And essentially what we're doing is we're worshipping something on a more animal level so that we can be more on animal level rather than ascending to the highest of our potential. And that's what's wrong with idolatry. Is that it, it glorifies the lower level, the animal level and level of mankind rather than the high God in the image of Hashem. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses and encamped at Sukkot. They journeyed from Sukkot and encamped at Etam, which is the edge of the wilderness. They journeyed from Etam, and it turned back to Pi-Ha-Hariot, which is before Baal-Siphon, and they encamped before Migdal. They journeyed from before Ha-Hirot and passed through the midst of the sea toward the wilderness. They went on a three-day trip in the wilderness of Aton and they encamped at Merah. They journeyed from Marah and en- arrived at El- uh, Elim. In Elim were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms and they encamped there. They journeyed from Elim and encamped by the Sea of Reeds. They journeyed from the Sea of Reeds and encamped by the wilderness of Sin. They journeyed from the wilderness of seen and encamped in Dafka. They journeyed from Dafka and encamped in Elush. They journeyed from Elush and encamped by Rafidim, and there was no water there for the people to drink. They journeyed from Rafidim and encamped in the wilderness of Sinai. They journeyed from the wilderness of Sinai and encamped at Kibrot Ha Ta'ava. Ta'ava. So This was the graves of lust is what this was, where they Ask for meat. They journeyed from Kibrothat Ta'ava and encamped at Hazarot. They journeyed from Hazarot and encamped in Ritma. They journeyed from Ritma and encamped at Rimon Perez. They journeyed from Rimon Perez and encamped in Livna. They journeyed from Livna and encamped in Risa. They journeyed from Risa and encamped in Cape. Ke- Kehlahtah and journey from Kehlahtah and camped by Mount Shafar. They can journey from Shafar and encamped by Harada. They journey from Harada and encamped in Makalot. They journeyed from Makalot and, and encamped at Tahat. They journeyed from Tahat and encamped in, in Terak. They journeyed from Terak and encamped at Mitka. They journeyed from Mitka and encamped at Hashmona. Hashmona. They journeyed from Hashmona and encamped at Mosarot. They journeyed from Mosarot and encamped in, in Bene Yakan. They journeyed from Bene Yakan and encamped at Hor. Ha, um, Hag, Hagid Gad. they journeyed from for Hagid Gad in Abrona they journeyed from Abrona and encamped at Ezion Geber they journeyed from Ezion, Ezion Geber and encamped in the wilderness of Din, which is Kadesh they journeyed from Kadesh and encamped at in Mount Hor at the edge of the land of Edom and remember Mount Hor was then Aaron Aaron the Kohen went to Mount Hor the word of Hashem and died there in the fortieth year after the children of Israel went forth from the land of Egypt in the fifth month on the first of the month Aaron was one hundred twenty three years old at his death on Mount Hor the Canaanite king of Arad heard he was dwelling in the south in the land of Canaan of the approach of the children of Israel. They journeyed from Mahor and encamped at Zalmonah and they journeyed from Zalmonah and encamped at Punan. They journeyed from Hunan and encamped at Obot. They journeyed from Obot and encamped in the ruins of the passes at the border of Moab. They journeyed from the ruins and encamped at Dibongad. They journeyed from Dibongad and encamped at Almon Dibla uh, Tama. They journeyed from Almon Dibla Tama and encamped in the mountains of the passes of Nevo. Nevo. They journeyed from the mountains of the passes and at the plains of Moab by the Jordan, by the Jordan, at Yericho. They encamped by the Jordan from Beit Yashvot into the plains of Chittim, in the plains of Moab. Hashem spoke to Moshe, On the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Yericho, saying, Speak to Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan to the land of Canaan, you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, and you shall destroy all their prostration stones, all their molten images you shall destroy, and all their high places you shall demolish. You shall possess the land, and you shall settle in it, for to you have I given the land to possess it. You shall give the land as an inheritance by lot to your families, To the many you shall increase its inheritance, and to the few you shall decrease its inheritance. Wherever its lot shall fall, ye shall it be, according to the tribes of your fathers, shall you inherit. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, those of whom you leave shall be pins in your eyes, and surrounding barrier of thorns in your sides, they will harass you upon the land in which you dwell. And it shall be that that what I was meant to, I had meant to do to them, I shall do to you. So here is the warning that has echoed down through the centuries that we have, uh, that Hashem meant for us to drive out the inhabitants of the land so that we could settle the land in peace. That the only way that we could live in the land in peace was if it would be mamash, and really and truly, the land of holiness, the land that was dedicated totally to the worship of Hashem. It's not killing these people because they're different, it's not killing them because we don't like them or they're strangers whatever. It isn't. It isn't that. We're not being bigots. We're not being. It's not that. The land is being, being is supposed to be holy and pure. So Hashem is saying to them, "You have to enforce this. You have to enforce this." So it's interesting that before the going into the land, before crossing over, they have this incredible war with Midian. And why are they having this war? Because of spiritual defilement of the people of Midian. On the people of Israel. Here they didn't have to kill all, but drive them out. Right? They had to drive them out. In other words, what they had to do was give them a choice. If they if they could leave, they would, you know, they could leave. Or they, if they went to battle with them, they did have to kill them all. And so this was something that was really very very intense. It was a very intense thing. And the people of Israel in order to have an army that was capable of this kind of warfare we have to understand this that this warfare war is a very very um, difficult thing for an army to carry out correctly and we see this as we're watching the news and we see the American army is accused of murder the American army is accused of, of atrocities and so on and it's prevalent in almost every army of the world. In fact, I would say, every army of every nation has this problem. Because war also brings out a bestiality in man. It's like all of the, the restrictions of society fall away. And it's a free-for-all. And people can descend to their lowest level and we hear it in stories about wars it's horrible where people descend to their lowest level and they do all kinds of horrible, horrible things because there just aren't any restrictions that were normally there when they're living in society be it nice, decent people living in society but when they go to war all those restrictions are, are off they're all gone and so they can descend into this terrible thing the only, the only army in, in the world that has been free of the guilt of rape. I'm telling you, the only army that has never had that. It's the army of Israel. In our modern day, it's the only army that has not ever been guilty of that. No matter what the rules are of an army, every army of every every nation including the United States, has been guilty of atrocities like that. And I don't care how many times the world likes to say, oh, Israel is so bad and Israel did all these horrible things, blah 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 Israel is most benevolent army. I mean it's just amazing. They treat the enemy in such a way that is like it's unbelievable. They treat the enemy actually with respect. Now, there are times where, yeah, the the border police make these guys stand there and sing a song that is humiliating. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I, I've heard people criticize that. But compared to what other armies do to capture captive people, I mean, it's just like... And the, the song that they sang that was humiliating, making them sing it, and believe it or not, it was actually on the news in Israel, was, you know, some kind of a rhyme and saying, We love Mishmar Gavul, which was the border police. I mean, it, it was, it's all, it, it, you have to laugh because this is the worst, and this is something that you're going to have all of the world media say, Oh, this is so horrible, how they're mistreating these people. There were times where there were some border police that made the Arabs get down on the ground, kneel down with their hands behind their heads, but what army hasn't done that to someone they capture? But they got it on film and showed it to the world. Israel real horrible. Israel is the only army in the world that has not done really and truly horrible things to the enemy. So, that was my soapbox for the night. But I'm telling you, it's just so out of balance, so out of proportion, um, because people want to say Israel's so bad. They compare them to Nazis and everything. Believe me, they don't know what a Nazi is if they think that. Okay, now we're to the 34th chapter of the Book of the Midbar. And this is the boundaries of the land of Israel. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying command the children of Israel and say to them when you come to the land of Canaan this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance the land of Canaan according to its borders your southern side shall be from the wilderness of Zin at the south at the side of Edom and your southern border shall be from the edge of the sea, uh, salt sea to the east the border shall go around the south of Ma'alat Akrabim and shall pass through Zim and its outskirt shall be the south of Kadesh Barnea. then it shall go out to Hazar Adar and pass to Azmon. the border shall go around from Osmond to the stream of Egypt and its outskirts shall be toward the sea, the western border it shall be for you the great sea and the district this shall be for you the western border, so this if this great sea is the border then is Gaza part of Eretz Israel I mean think about it this shall be for you the northern border from the great sea you shall turn to Mount Hor from Mount Hor you shall turn to the approach of Hamat and from the outskirts of the border shall be Zedan, Zedan. The border shall go forth from Ziphron and its outskirts shall be hazar Enon. This shall be for you northern border. You shall draw yourself at the eastern border from hazar Enon to Shefam. The border shall descend from Shefam to Riblah, east of Ain. The border shall descend to the extent to and extend to the bank of the Kiryat Sea, Caneret. I'm sorry, Canarit Sea, to the east. The border shall descend to the Jordan, and its outskirts shall be the Salt Sea. This is the land for you, according to its borders all around. Now they didn't talk about um, the east side. Those parts that were inherited by Reuven, God and, and half tribe of Manasseh are not in Eretz Israel proper this is the borders of Eretz Israel proper Moshe commanded the children of Israel saying this is the land that you shall divide as an inheritance by lot which Hashem has commanded to give to the nine and a half tribes after the tribes of Reuben Gad and half tribe Manasseh had their land on the east side those, la- those tribes lived on the east side of the Jordan. And so that, because they lived there, is considered Israel, but it's not Eretz Israel proper as we can see from the borders. And also because they were the ones who uh, they were the ones who um, didn't want to live in Eretz Israel proper. They wanted their land before the people went into Eretz Israel. We know um, in the book of Kings they was, oh no, I'm sorry, Chronicles, they were the first tribes to be carried away captive by the Assyrians. When the Assyrians captured the northern tribes, the tribes on the eastern side of the border were the first ones they carried into captivity. For the tribe of the children of Ruvain have taken according to their father's house, and the tribe of the children of God according to their father's house, and the half tribe of Manasseh have taken their inheritance two and a half tribes have taken their inheritance on the bank of the Jordan by Jericho, eastward for the sunrise so they were punished they were the first ones carried into captivity yes because they chose land outside of Eretz Israel proper they were the first ones carried away Hashem spoke to Moshe saying these are the names of the men who are to take possession of the land for you. Eleazar the Kohen and Yahushua son of Nun and one leader from each tribe shall you take to possess the land. These are the names of the men for the tribe of Yehudah, Kalei son of Yefunah and for the tribe of the children of Shimon, Shemuel, son of Amihud for the tribe of Benjamin Elidad son of Hislom for the tribe of the children of Dan as leader Buki son of Yogli For the children of Yosef, for the tribe of the children of Manashe as leader Haniel son of Ephod for the tribe of the children of Ephraim as leader Kemuel, son of Shifton, for the tribe of the children of Zebulun, as leader, Elizaphan, son of Parnach, for the tribe of the children of Issachar, as leader, Paltiel, son of Azan, for the tribe of the children of Asher, as leader, Ahihud, son of Shalomi, for the tribe of the children of Naphtali, as leader, Hal, son of Amihud. These are the ones whom Hashem commanded to apportion the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. So later, when we see the the dividing of the land, so how did they divide the land? We see that it says um, Hashem told Moshe to take possession of the land for you. Eleazar the Kohen and Yahushua son of Nun so there were two ways that that the the portions of the land were divided up there were two ways that are represented by these two leaders Eleazar um, Eleazar the Kohen was of course wearing the Urim and Tumim and from that the um, it would light up, and the decisions were made by the Tumim who would get what portion of land, because the, the stone for the tribe would light up, and then the lots were picked by the um, by Yahushua. He would he would pick the lot, like put it put the papers in a hat and draw, so he would pick this by divine lot. And the divine lot, the, the lot, and the Urim and Tumim always matched. It was like um, check and balance of, these, of the ways that the, the tribal allotment was made. So, later we see when the people go into the, um, the land and they, they're fighting the war of Ai in the book of Yahoshua and they lose. They lose the battle that Hashem says that there was sin in the camp. Remember this story? And so the sin in the camp was that there was a man who had stolen goods from the previous battle with Eureko. And so they they found the person who was guilty through the the divine lot. The lot fell on Hahan, and he was in the tribe of Yehuda. And of course Achan was going to try to um, get out of it by casting doubt on the validity of the Divine Lot. Now, if he had been allowed to cast doubt on the validity of the Divine Lot, then it would have also cast doubt on the division of the land by Lot. So, what happened? Yahushua went to him and he said this would be a terrible thing if you make the people doubt the lot they will be doubting the validity of their tribal inheritance and so he said please admit your guilt admit your sin and you'll you'll get atonement through the punishment that you will get in this world you will get an atonement and you will have inheritance in the world to come and so Ahan repented that he had caused this doubt to come in the children of Israel and he admitted his guilt that he had stolen these goods and he was stoned he was killed for it but it is to his credit that he realized that the damage that he could do by casting doubt on the divine lot because of the the uh, division of the land That there couldn't be a doubt on this so these were the princes also that were took part in the division of the land now the next part is a very important thing that I want us to go into and I really want us to take the time to go into all of this about um, this subject because it is a subject that definitely applies to B'nai Noach big time and this is the subject of murder and how important it is not to shed the blood of man. And this was a subject that I talked about in the beginning, as being something that was first said to Noah, that set a precedent of of uh, not shedding the blood of man, and that if man's blood was shed by man, that that person who was the murderer had to shed his blood, had to have his blood shed by man. He had to be executed capital punishment so here it's reiterated to the people of Israel basically the same thing that was said to Noah this is for all people of the world but, we, but notice something here that it's about the land first we have the division of the land and then the very next thing we have is about the cities of the Levites and then the cities of refuge for unintentional murderers and then the law about an intentional murderer and this has to do with the land now let's think back the very first murderer what did Hashem say to Cain he said the blood of your brother cries from the land the land is meant to give forth what? Meant to give forth fruit, and vegetation for our nourishment so that we can have life. And so the land is meant to nurture us, supposed to be our home, supposed to nurture us so that we can live. And if we are shedding the blood of man and it goes into the ground, the land itself is defiled by bloodshed. This is what that means it's the opposite of life. We're filling death. Onto the land. Now, this this is another thing that we we can think about. It's a spiritual principle about land, land where we live. Murder. It is like the land feels it, and I'm not being. Um, I hope you understand how I'm saying this. Here when we read in the book of of, um, Ezekiel where Hashem says speak to this land there's something about the land itself Hashem created the land for a purpose so the land has to have the people on it living in harmony with the purpose of the land itself of what it's created for So in the 35th chapter, Hashem spoke to Moshe in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Yericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they shall give to the Levites from the heritage of the position cities for dwelling and open space for the cities all around them shall you give to the Levites. So these cities were going to be within the tribal portions of the other tribes. The city shall be theirs for dwelling and the open spaces shall be for their animals, for their wealth and for all their needs. The open spaces of the city which you shall give the Levites from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. You shall measure from outside the city on the eastern side two thousand cubits, on the southern side two thousand cubits, on the western side two thousand cubits. On the northern side, 2,000 cubits, with the city in the middle. This shall be for them the open spaces of the cities. The cities that you shall give to the Levites, the six cities of refuge, that you shall provide for a murderer to flee there. And in addition to them, you shall give them 42 cities. So there would be 48 cities in all that were Levite cities. Six are cities of refuge and and 42 others. All the cities that you shall give to the Levites, forty eight cities, them and their open spaces, the cities that you shall give for from the possession of the children of Israel, from the many you shall increase increase, and from the few you shall decrease, each according to his inheritance that they shall inherit shall you get shall he give his cities to the Levites. Now okay. Never mind, I will go on for a minute. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying to them, When you cross the Jordan to the land of Canaan, you shall designate cities for yourself. Cities of refuge shall they be for you, and a killer shall flee there, one who takes a life unintentionally. These cities of refuge were only for unintentional killers the city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger so that the killer will not die until he stands before the assembly of judgment as to the cities that you shall designate there shall be six cities for refuge for you three cities shall you designate on the other side of the Jordan three cities shall you designate in the land of Canaan they shall be cities of refuge for the children of Israel And the proselyte and the resident among them shall these six cities be a refuge for anyone who kills a person unintentionally to flee there. Now there were six cities but three were in in Israel proper and three were in the land east of the Jordan. So it's interesting to note that there had to be an equal number on the other side of the Jordan. So that it int- it indicates that there would be more accidents on the other side of the Jordan because what maybe because it's not Israel proper. It's very it speaks to us that there were an equal number of cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan among those two and a half tribes as there needed to be on the west side of the Jordan, but also all of the cities of the Levites could be considered cities of refuge but if uh, an unintentional killer went into one of those other cities of the Levites he had to ask for sanctuary and another difference was that he had to pay rent if he lived there. If he went into a city of refuge it was a city of refuge. It was known to be a city of refuge and he did not have to pay rent now he had to stay there Okay, we're going to get to that but he had to stay there and if he did not stay there the avenger of the the blood of the person he killed unintentionally could kill him without retribution now when he went to the city of refuge of course it sounds like sometimes we think he just went there he said oh I'm an unintentional killer and he could just stay there hiding but he would go on trial he would go on trial and then it was decided whether he could stay or not if he was an intentional killer this is what um, the next passage talks about this if he had struck him with an iron implement and he died he is a killer the killer shall surely be put to death so, there was no way a, an intentional killer, a murderer, could stay in one of these cities of refuge. If he was an intentional murderer, he had to be put to death. Capital punishment. Or if a hand sized stone by which one could die, did he strike him and he died, he is a killer. The killer shall surely be put to death. Or if he struck him with a hand sized wood implement, by which he could die and he died he is a killer the killer shall surely be put to death the avenger of blood shall put the killer to death so this person who was the avenger from the family was the one who actually um, did the execution who executed the, the murderer When he encounters him he shall put him to death. If he pushed him out of hatred or hurled upon him from ambush, and he died. Or if an enmity struck him with his hand and he died, the assailant shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the killer to death when he encounters him. Now this the avenger of blood could put him to death if he was found outside the city of refuge. But he was also the one that was given to do the execution. It's very interesting when we look at the Torah like this, when we realize they didn't have prisons. Instead, they had this system. So, person was a thief. What happened to him? He was he was sold into slavery, and he was put with his family where he was a slave. And how did that work? He was he was in this environment where it was supposed to be that he would learn better behavior. It wasn't forever and always. He would be set free at some point, and he would be back on his feet. He would be in a better position to live uh, an upstanding, decent life. That was the remedy for a thief. Here is what happens to a murderer. What happens to an unintentional murderer person who intended murder is going to be killed with capital punishment, but an unintentional murderer is sent where? To a city of the Levites, where he's going to learn Torah, he's going to learn decent behavior. Totally different from the way of the nations. It's not going to be. Um, not going to be put in with a society of low life. He's put into a society of the highest. of of the community and it's interesting to note too that if according to our Midrash if the man was a student of a Rebbe he was a, a student in a yeshiva so to speak all the students and the Rebbe went with him into this exile in order for him to continue learning Torah But if with suddenness, without enmity, did he push him, or hurled an implement upon him without ambush, or with any stone through which one could die, without having seen, and caused to fall upon him, and he died, but he was not his enemy, and did not seek his harm, then the assembly shall judge between the assailant and the avenger of blood according to these laws. The assembly shall rescue the killer from the hand of the avenger of blood and the assembly shall return him to his city of refuge where he had fled and he shall dwell there until the death of the Kohen Gadol until the high priest death of the high priest whom one had anointed with sacred oil so this is the high priest that was the high priest during the time of the killing why because we're told that if this happened, there was death during the time of the high priest he is like responsible for what happens in the community during the time when he's high priest and so it's like his responsibility that this happened and so, once he dies then the man is let go but if the killer will ever leave the border of his city of refuge to which he fled and the avenger of blood shall find him outside the border of the city of refuge and the avenger of blood will kill the killer he has no blood guilt so this was the, mo- the best incentive for these killers to stay inside the city of refuge. It was better than guards and dogs and bars and all of that that we had. The fact that this avenger of blood could find him outside that city and without any retribution whatsoever he could kill him. So this kept those unintentional killers inside the city of refuge. For he must dwell in his city of refuge until the death of the Kohen Gadol. And after the death of the Kohen Gadol, the killer shall return to the land of his possession. These shall be for you a decree of justice for your generations in all your dwelling places. Whoever smites a person according to the testimony of witnesses shall kill the killer. But a single witness... Shall not testify against a person regarding death. So it had to be established on the word of two witnesses, not just one. It wasn't enough for one person to witness it and put him to death. You shall not accept ransom for the life of a killer who is worthy of death, for he shall surely be put to death. You shall not accept ransom for one who fled to the city of refuge to return to dwell in his land before the death of the Kohen Gadol. You shall not bring guilt upon the land in which you are, guilt upon the land, for the blood will bring guilt upon the land, and the land will not have atonement for the blood that was spilled on it, except through the blood of the one who was spilled. You shall not contaminate the land in which you dwell, in whose midst I rest, for I am Hashem who rests among the children of Israel. Now, one of the one way of, of translating this, bring guilt upon the land, is to make the land a hypocrite. Shall not make the land a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is one who looks one way, but in reality, he's something else. So, the land is supposed to bring forth life, but if you are shedding innocent blood upon the land... The land is experiencing death. And so, it says not to make the land a hypocrite. The land is supposed to bring forth life. It's supposed to bring forth nourishment. You're not supposed to be shedding innocent blood upon the land. And it contaminates the land. This is, this is um, a lot for us to think about. I mean, this is not just the land of Israel, but all land. Because, as I said... When we look at the laws of Noah regarding murder let's look back at that for a moment. And it's in the ninth chapter of Bereshit of Genesis. It says, But flesh with its soul, its blood you shall not eat. Okay. However, your blood belongs to the soul I will demand of every beast, will I demand of it, but of man, of every man, for that of his brother, will I demand the soul of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So here we have it. If a person is going to be a murderer, an intentional murderer, And he looks at this person and he decides, I hate him and I'm going to kill him. Is he seeing the image of God? That's the first descent. He's not seeing the image of God. And he himself is descending to what? In order for him to commit this murder, the first thing that we see here when we're talking about murder in Breschit, it first talks about the beast says Your blood which belongs to your soul will I demand of every beast. Will I demand it? So the first thing it's talking about is a beast that kills a human being. And then the second thing is of is a man who kills a human being. And so the man who kills a human being does what? He descends to a bestial level because he is not seeing what is said here in the next phrase for in the image of God he made man he's ignoring that he's looking at this person and he's not seeing the image of God this is what is so bad so first Hashem said this to all mankind when he gave these laws to Noah he said it to all mankind and then here this is what it's based on when we have these laws on murder uh, that are given to the people of Israel it's based on, it's already been said, and this is what I was saying in previous classes, that all the laws of the Torah hinge on, are based on, the foundation of the seven laws of Noah. And this is one that is very, very obvious. Because if a person can commit murder, he does not look at the other man as in the image of God. He's not seeing his soul He's not seeing the living soul in his blood when he sheds his blood. And the land cries out because the land is not supposed to um, be a receptacle of this violence. The land cries out. It's supposed to be a receptacle of nurturing life. This is why Hashem talks about the land here. And let's look again in Bereshit again. We talked about it before. In the, in the uh, story of Cain and Abel, Hashem says in, in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from what? From the ground. From the ground. Therefore, you are cursed more than the ground, and the, cur- the ground had been cursed when Adam and Eve sinned, which opened wide its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You have become a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So here is talking about the land, the land just like it's talking about in when we when we see it in Parshat Masay that the land is meant to be a blessing here you're going into the land flowing with milk and honey the land where we're going to give tithes from the crop and so on and it's not meant to be receiving the blood shed in violence this is something that makes the land a hypocrite that the land is supposed to be for nurturing for life not for violence the land has to reflect the people it has to reflect the souls of the people the life does anybody have a comment about this? this is very strong these ideas are very strong and I think that it's something that we also the, the ideas of bounds all of these things are very pertinent to all of us watching our words and also the idea of killing and I do want to talk about this a little bit more even if we don't go on to the rest I want to talk about it a little bit more because sometimes our ideas about killing become askew and one thing is very I mean we heard this on the news I heard this on the news recently about some nurses during the the Katrina that committed mercy killings of some people in a hospital that they thought they'll die horrible ways. and so they administered a lethal dose of um, drugs. They felt against the wall. They felt what were they going to do with these people and they didn't want to see them die in the flood. They couldn't rescue them. they, couldn't, they didn't see any other way. And so they made a decision about the fate of that person. They took upon themselves to stand in the place of the court of heaven and made a decision that the time had come for these people to die in this way. And so that's one thing. And, and, and it's sometimes it's when we look at it objectively... We can say, oh, that, that's a horrible thing. But try to think about it subjectively. If you were in that place, harder than, very hard. Because when you feel the pain of the other person, it's very hard. But we have to remember, it's not up to us to make that choice. And if we do, what are we doing? We're committing murder. Even if it's not in anger, even if it's not in enmity, committing murder. What about times where you feel desperate? I mean, this person has pushed you to your limit, and you feel so desperate, like there's nowhere to turn. You're up against the wall; there's nowhere to turn, and it's not out of mercy or love. But it's out of of desperation and anger and anguish, and commit murder. I mean, think about it. It's something that it it applies to every single person. And think about how given the right circumstances anybody would be tempted to have that thought. And so that's why these laws apply to every single person. They're not just the bad guy over here in death row. Not just some animalistic guy. Every single person that we have to have this said to us. And it's not, it's not easy. Because in each one of our lives, there has come a point where out of, out of love and pity, we've, we might have that thought. Or out of desperation and anger at how somebody wrongs us and pushes us and just won't quit, we might have that thought every single person could have that thought and so what are you going to do this is why it's important that we we study the Torah and we say I know that no matter what the judgment on this person's life is in the court of heaven and this person is made in the image of God and it's up to Hashem to when he is going to die now I'm not talking about war here war is a different thing where we go out to battle it's a different thing but even there we have to be very very concerned like I said because in war it's like the the barriers fall down and, and we feel this we feel this um limit, this attitude of there being no limitations anymore. We don't have the same limitations as in polite society. And so, the possibilities arise for us to descend to a bestial level and for us to look at the other person as not quite human and maybe deserving of death. And we're, we, we console ourselves as being um right or justified in killing that person. So we have to be very careful. Very, very careful with this. Now I'm just going to um, read the rest of the Parsha and then we're going to be finished because we are over our time. The heads of the fathers of the family of the children of Gilad, son of Mahir, son of Manasheh, of the families of the children of Yosef, and spoke before Moshe and before the leaders, the heads of the fathers of the children of Israel. They said, Hashem has commanded my master to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel, and my master has been commanded by Hashem to give the inheritance of Zalathchad, a brother, to his daughters. If they become wives of one of the sons of the tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be subtracted from the inheritance of our fathers and be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry, and it will be subtracted from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee will arrive for the children of Israel, their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry, for the inheritance of the tribes of our fathers will be the inheritance subtracted. Moshe commanded the children of Israel according to the word of Hashem, Correctly does the tribe of the children of Yosef speak this is the word of Hashem as commanded regarding the daughters of Salla, saying, "Let them be wise to whoever is good in their eyes, but only the family of their father's tribe shall become shall they become wives. An inheritance of the children of Israel shall not make rounds from tribe to tribe, rather the children of Israel shall cleave every man to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Every daughter who inherits an inheritance of the tribes of the children of Israel shall become the wife of someone from a a family of her father's tribe, so that every one of the children of Israel will inherit the inheritance of his fathers. An inheritance shall not make rounds from tribe to tribe, but the tribes of the children of Israel shall cleave every man to his own inheritance. As Hashem commanded Moshe, so did the daughters of Solochad do. Mahla, uh, Pirsa, Hogla, Mach, Milcha, and Noah, the daughters of Solochad, became wives to the sons of their uncles. To cousins from the families of the children of Manasseh, son of Yosef, did they become wives, and their inheritance remained within the tribe of the family of their father. These are the commandments and the ordinances of, that Hashem commanded through Moshe to the children of Israel in the plains of Moab at the Jordan by Yericho. Hazak, hazak, Be strong, be strong and may we be strengthened. And that is the end of the book of Bamidbar. And next week we begin Devarim, uh, Deuteronomy. Does anybody have a comment or a question before we end for tonight? Now I know that we could have talked more about the about the law on murder. There was more to say, but um, we'll we'll do that another time. And thank you to you for joining us. I really enjoyed. Um, I always enjoy our classes, and I enjoyed um, your company. Thank you for being here. And so I guess if that's it, I'm going to... um,